I believe that in some ways the occupation actually helped Bejor. Which part? The massacres or the strip mining? I have no desire to debate the merits of the occupation with you. I'm even willing to admit that perhaps we were a little harsh in our methods. But the fact is, the Bajoran people are stronger now than they have been in centuries. When we arrived, you were a weak, contemplative race, choking on your isolation. And now you have a new confidence, a whole new sense of purpose. Not to mention our key role in the future of this entire quadrant. All of which Bajor accomplished in spite of the Cardassians, not because of them. Think what you must. But I believe the time will come when Cardassia and Bajor will grow to be not only allies, but also close friends. New takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnigan. With me, digging shallow graves for our lost crewmates are Emily Bowen Marler and Rudy Kessbaker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today, we're plugging into the Star Trek.com villain showdown. This week's poll was between the Borg Queen and Gul Dukat. We picked Dukat and we're recapping an episode featuring him. It's called Indiscretion, and it's the fifth episode of the fourth season of Deep Space Nine. But first, we want you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about the pod. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Help more people listen to us. It's fun. And last but not least, um, spoiler warning. I think I get tagged with this part very often. <laughs> Probably I'm not good at the ones before. Um, or maybe I do this one well. Um, but yeah, uh, you have been warned. We will spoil um the fourth episode of um or the fifth episode i don't know but it's it's in indiscretion at deep space nine and we may spoil other parts of trek and in general sci-fi um so you have been warned actually i'm going to spoil something potentially in general sci-fi in my strange new take all right sounds good rudy we'll look forward to it coming right up actually and as a heads up, next week is round five of the Villains Showdown with Badgie against Q. We've chosen to go with Q, so we'll be watching and recapping Deja Q, the 13th episode of the third season of The Next Generation. So, as I mentioned before, this is about indiscretion. DS9 4X05, it first aired on 23rd October 1995, that is nearly 27 years ago. Uh, the teleplay was by Nicholas Correa, the story was by Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino, and it was directed by LeVar Burton. I did not know that it was directed by LeVar Burton until this moment, I did not look at the credit screen well enough. <laughs> Uh, we always start our episodes of the podcast with our strange new takes. Um, I'm going to take us for a ride, uh, the first strange new take. Um, there's a wild world of deliveries that I don't know if y'all have got into. Like, y'all might get Amazon deliveries, you may get FedEx and UPS and all these other things, but there are freight deliveries. Have y'all had freight deliveries? I'm seeing confused faces. Yeah, so if you <laughs> if you order like a lot of construction materials from your home store, maybe you order even a large air conditioner from uh, Amazon, you will get a freight delivery. And the problem with the freight delivery is 
they will call you to set up a day, but they'll give you like an eight hour window in which they might just turn up at any time and, and unload the stuff. And they have all these rules about, I will bring it to the sidewalk, but not the porch. I will put it on the, <laughs> like the edge of the garage, but I can't put it inside the garage. If we have to enter the alleyway, that's an extra $10 per pallet. There's all sorts of rules depending on the freight service. All I'm saying is there's a wild world of deliveries out there, people. Uh, you should get into it. Anyway, my Star Trek Strange New Take is that it was really refreshing to go back to the 90s Star Trek in terms of sets and makeup and costumes. It is such an interesting practical effects world. Uh, like that ship, the crash ship, was actually built. Like they had this giant plywood-like structures built into the mud of some you know i don't know if that was a set uh like a backlog set or whatever but it was like it was real whereas in like strange new worlds or whatever that would probably just be like a bunch of cgi the ar and, screen or the ar wall <laughs> yeah it, it was just a really interesting um kind of departure for me because i haven't watched a lot of 90s track recently so so it was it was a reminder and a comparison point for what things used to be like cool well, I'm trying to think what my strange new take for life would be. I feel like we have been like um, the receivers of some of the 10 plagues um, that have, you know, <laughs> we've had mice and ants and COVID and I had a wasp sting me, um, you know, all kinds oh, no. of fun and interesting things that have happened to us just in the past. Well, it would have happened in a one week span. We're coming out of it now. Good times, good times. But it's just crazy. I'm ready for things to go back to normal. So and I'm ready for, I love my kid. He's awesome. I'm ready for him to spend some good quality time with my parents. So, <laughs> and I think they're ready too. They haven't actually seen him like for a while, like in an extended period of time for a few weeks now, because we were traveling and it's just, it's time for life to get a little, you know, a little ordinary and normal. We would we would appreciate that. And my strange new take for the episode would be, well, I I just think this is a great episode um, to discuss Ducat because Ducat is one of he is a very complex and layered villain. I think, um, but also I find. I found myself reflecting on some of the stories I hear people tell about the past when they don't want to fully accept that there were some ugly things that happened in the past and they want to kind of paint it with a different sheen. Ducat does that um, in this episode. He does it in other episodes too, but he does it in this episode. And I just found myself reflecting on, on things I've heard people say, and we'll get into that more later. So. Yeah, fascinating. Um, yeah, Spock style. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, I was just going to have a, a Star Trek in this episode, Strange New Take, but not uh, something uh, along the lines of what you said uh, is going gonna, is gonna to trigger a general Strange New Take for me. So there is this um, Netflix TV uh, series, or uh, like I think a limited series called the movies that made us, uh, mm -hmm. if you've seen it, um, it's really, really good, especially if you grew up in, in, in the nineties, um, because it is for the movies that played, uh, that, that released in the late eighties and nineties. And so they, they also show how these incredible sets were built for these movies. 
and and you know how um i can't find the right analogy now but fly by the seat of your pants kind of stunt work and even architecture somehow got these things together so if you haven't seen the movies that made us on netflix and you grew up in the late 80s and 90s um definitely a watch for you and then my my take related to this episode is about memory so i seem to have memory issues in general uh, some of you are more regular listeners may remember me confusing the name of um uh, the greatest starfleet officer ever and calling him o'reilly instead of o'brien which was shocking <laughs> but at at times um you, you know short term memory can be can be nice because you forget stuff and then you get to relive it again and you kind of vaguely remember that you may have known it before but it's like eh surprise um this happened with me and um cassidy yates i must be the last person who has seen the orville and and deep space 9 to have not got that <laughs> but i got and and or have have got it earlier and then not and forget and then remember again um so i i was catching up with the orville uh cuz i wanted to start the new season and and there you go um cassidy yates is also dr claire finn on the orville and the interesting thing is um you know in relation to this episode there's a sense of romance and commitment and long-term relationships and she's got a little bit of that in the orville as well um so that's penny johnson gerald um really good actor um and it looks like she's got the she's got it she's got the acting down for uh middle-aged romances in sci-fi and she doesn't age yes I mean she really she looks not. remarkably similar. <laughs> she does. I, yeah. I have not seen have you watched any of the new Orville yet? I actually did start. Did you start um, it? I, I haven't started that one yet, so I mean, I'm have... one episode and one quarter in, yeah. Okay. And there's already um any romance. Ah, okay, okay. I've I've only watched the first few episodes of season 1 of the Orville. I don't know for some reason I just haven't been able to like It's I th- I think I've heard like it gets much better and I should it stick does. with it but uh I haven't uh I haven't got there yet. The problem with me and Penny Johnson Gerald is that she, for me she's Sherry Palmer from 24, the wife uh. of the president <laughs> of the United States who's incredibly awful. Like she is manipulative, <laughs> horrible, horrible, yep. horrible character and like in terms of like their values and Penny Johnson Gerald plays her really well like really really well so like and i watched this as a child so it's like <laughs> deeply imprinted on my brain so every time i saw cassidy every time i see her in anything i'm like evil don't trust her uh and it's it's really hard to like that's how i feel about jason that. isaacs when yeah. jason cuz he's in that episode of the west wing and i kept thinking uh, or he's in like maybe I can't remember if he's in both episodes or if he's just in the first episode it's a two-parter but um I keep thinking oh my god there's something really he's going to do something really bad I know <laughs> I know he's going to be like at the heart of why this bad thing happened and no he's not he was just a photographer and he wasn't evil or nefarious at all but it's Jason Isaacs that, I had completely <laughs> forgotten that Jason Isaacs played and also his I'm pretty sure with that two-parter so it's a cliff season cliffhanger yeah, and like yeah. season premiere I'm yeah. pretty sure it's and changes between the first the two episodes like he mysteriously becomes like 
Northern Irish or something like that yeah. in the second episode, exactly. and it doesn't sound like anything <laughs> like his the first episode. Anyway, and then he doesn't ever come back. It's kind of you're yeah. right, like a hundred percent. It was some weird <laughs> thing that went on. Yeah. I think actually was that season four and five, so it might have been one of those ones where I can't remember which. It was, was... the one when they were in the Middle East and the the caravan exploded or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the one where Donna gets hurt. Um, yeah, it must be four and five. Because if that happened, then it makes the 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 discordance makes a little bit of sense because it's uh, after Aaron Sorkin left. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. no, that that wasn't. It was five and six. Because the end was of season four was when the daughter gets kidnapped. Oh, because he was in... That's right. Aaron right. Sorkin wrote the first four seasons. It was just right. three seasons that he didn't do. Okay, okay. This is now the West Wing podcast. I was going to say. I will, I will happily do a West Wing recap podcast. But anyway, that's not what we're here for, as you guys just pointed out. Uh, we are here to talk about indiscretion. So let's get into that uh, in detail. First of all, I did not remember this episode. It's not one of the ones that gets mentioned on like a best of DS9 list, which should tell you something about how good DS9 is in my opinion. But uh, it has a lot of what makes DS9 really special. It's got a storyline that harkens to a a very complicated past. It's got different alien species having very complicated diplomatic and personal relationships with one another, very layered character histories, it's even got a little bit of like a really bubble granola uh, plot between Cisco and Cassidy that has nothing to do with the really complicated deep shit happening on the other side of the episode. So I feel like this might be a good episode if someone's like, what's DS9 like? And you don't want to like spoil the Dominion War storyline for them. This is a great episode to show them, yeah. okay, you want to you know what DS9 is like? Here's what DS9 is. And it requires like minimum explanation. Right. Which no, I rare. think that's probably good. I think that I think that's true. I mean, really, the only thing you'd have to say is, you know, just maybe know that um, the Cardassians occupied Bajor. You know, like that. That would be enough just to give them that little kernel, and then and they'd be able to figure more out about that anyway as the episode progresses. But this does. This is an episode that kind of contains a whole lot within the forty-four minutes. That's. That's an interesting call out, Naj, in, in, in someone starting this episode as maybe one of the first you see of DS9. It it presents the Cardassians in in a much um less severe light if you come in and like what's going on. And or maybe I mean you kind of know about that from previous track, but uh, you're you're seeing a particular officer and and there's losses, right? There's uh, potential for reconciliation and a better future and all of that. So, yeah, that's interesting. It this episode for me, um, when I watched DS Nine the first time, and even that you watched it um, uh, a few years later, um, it it almost felt like I, I like the complexity that that Ducat had, like like the layers. Uh, Emily, I think you mentioned either in the, in the podcast or before. Um, that Ducard had uh, the same with Garak, in, in Cardassians in general being complex. Um, I personally never really liked the 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 way Ducard went towards the end, and, and I won't mm-hmm. get too much into that uh, in in fear of spoiling. Um, but I, you know, this indecision on 
somebody's got potential for good or potential for reconciliation. It's kind of nice. I think this was, in my mind, the way I saw it, potentially a fork in the road um, for Ducat and in general relations. Um, and, you know, the rest is is history. Kind of went in you know very different direction. I yeah, I mean there are there are definitely in the first few seasons of DS9, there's like this kind of back and forth of where he will end up. You're never quite mm -hmm. sure if he's going to be a um redeemed character. Yeah, if he's gonna redeem himself, he's gonna be a George O, basically, right? Uh mm -hmm. let's legit. Like George O actually maybe actually I think Descartes might be comparable to George O in terms of his atrocities. Um mm -hmm. and and whereas they redeemed George O. Uh, I I have no issues with spoiling Rudy because that's what we do here. Ducat <laughs> uh, does not get redeemed no. uh, in, in DS. He gets spoiled. He turns rotten. Yeah, yeah. yeah he turns well. I mean, but there are still some twists and turns around the way, right? Like he yeah. gets deposed and like he becomes head of the Cardassian uh, <clears throat> hegemony. What is the Cardassian Empire? Like I forget what the yeah, Cardassian like the group Empire. is called. I but, think it's Empire. And then he gets deposed. He becomes like, and then he becomes like a religious fanatic. Apparently, he tries to, but then he becomes like, he tries to manipulate the Bajoran religious fanatics. It's just he he kind of just stays kind of manipulative and bad, and that becomes kind of his core characteristic is his ability to manipulate people. And I gotta say, like again, I haven't watched the entirety of DS Nine in maybe five or six years, but like. I remember being taken in by the guy, like never mm -hmm. being sure. Like, is he like for? Is this guy for real? Like, is he gonna like succeed? Like, is he what? What's happening here? And Rudy, you like wily Cardassian characters? I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I I like how you say taken in because I was also a sucker for him. He's got that, and this is by no means condoning anything, but he's got that colonial. Overlord oh. charisma, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's the there's so many movies in India where they show like the charismatic overlord that comes to greet the natives and then like you know messes them up and takes all their 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 valuables and and their women and all of that. So, I mean, the way they've set him up, he's a good looking Cardassian, like sharp features, broad shoulder, you know, and and you see a lot of that in this episode because. They focus on him and he has he has depth in this episode. He's just not a you know un inconsolable villain. He's he's got sadness, he's got complexities. Um mm -hmm. he's still holding his line in terms of what he thought of the occupation and and all of that. He's got a sense of air around him. So th th there is that where will this guy end up kind of feeling and and he he could be he could remain a complex character throughout and we never end up knowing something like that right he is so like this this happens fairly fairly early in the episode but he is so delusional about um <laughs> the the not role the cardassians played um his spin on what the occupation was um, is so deluded, you know, like he does and this is kind of what i was referring to in my strange new take um you know, when he's talking about basically kind of wanting to say that the, you know, how amazing Kira is, is because of the Cardassians, you know, like, like she was forged in the fire of the Cardassian, 
uh, of the Cardassian occupation and the Cardassians made the Bajorans better. And, you know, what we did was really good for you, just like how it was, um, you know, African people who were enslaved in the United States, you know, it was good for them, right? You know, like, like they had good lives and, you know, like the people, I mean, I just, I was hearing Dukat and thinking of like a person that I know who mm-hmm. was telling one of their, you know, a family member about, you know, like, oh, well, we can't just, you know, slavery wasn't all just this evil, awful, you know, like, like they had, there were slaves that had good lives. And I'm like, God, I wish I had heard you saying this so I could say, oh, so, so you wouldn't mind being enslaved? Like, like you would totally be okay if you didn't have any agency or ability mm-hmm. to make decision over anything in your life. You know, you know what I mean? But like, like people just want to delude themselves because they can't. And I think some of it is because they can't live with the horror of what really is. And so they have to finesse it. And, and I feel like that's Ducat. Um, well, there's there's some I th- I think you know th- it's a good point you make because this is I don't think it's necessarily that they I think there's some of that I think there are some people who are in denial but there are definitely other people who deny the humanity of the people that they have captured and this happened a lot in the British Raj right like they're oblivious well, to it, it yeah it just... yeah yeah the, the the stuff that Ducat says is exactly exactly what like. Even Indian people say about the British taking over India. Like they came and they modernized us and they gave us all this stuff and like they 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 took away the savagery of our like old religion or whatever. Like there is just this this ex post facto justification that's applied. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of reasons for it. Um, I should also say that this is something that is throughout the history books. You look at inscriptions from kings in ancient Egypt, Rome, like wherever you want to go. This is a justification. Right. We went in, like we pacified the Gauls. We gave them civilization. We took away their villages and we installed baths and we gave them togas. And when you go and you excavate those villages, you're like, oh, wow, these guys had like a really functioning economy. Like they weren't like the Romans described at all. They had buildings. Oh no, <laughs> it was genocide. What? Julius yeah. Caesar. What are you doing, buddy? Um, and it's, it's, I, so that was like one, I think that was very early, like you said, Emily, a place to like connect with this episode and be like, what, what is happening? Like this guy's, what? Well, and he How does say this. Well, and, and I don't now, okay, I have to confess, I didn't work it through the whole episode, but I've seen Deep Space Nine a lot of times. So I don't know if he does this in this episode, but there are other episodes where he also talks about, the Bajorans as though they are his children. Um, I mean, it, it, there's there are so many layers to the grossness of the, <laughs> of the villain, the yeah. <laughs> villainry. I don't know what, what the word is um, of how villainous uh, Goldicott is, but I remember him talking about like, like, but you needed me to care for you. And, and I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just so gross. It's so gross. I don't know that he does it in this episode, but, um, but the hints of it, I think are kind of in that, we did so many good things for you, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think Naj, whatever you were mentioning, that's that's the that's the complex part. It's the it's the tricky part because for me, I I didn't get irritated or like shocked by what Ducart was doing. I started smiling, right? Um, because in a way, it's charisma, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're taking the example that you have, right, you've g- examples that you've given, Notch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 generally, in, in 
in civilization or collection of people who then grow and develop and expand, right? Um, you you start off with patriotism, you kind of, and, and I was unsure maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, but I now know that from patriotism, you degrade internationalism, right? And then from nationalism, you degrade into jingoism, uh, and then you have dictators, and then you have oppression and occupation, right? So, and it's people like this, right? Like it's this kind of charisma that you see in leaders where, you know, it's for the greater good and, and the expeditionary forces we're bringing civilization to you. Um, I, I like the example you've taken with the British Raj. There's there's leaders that have done great things and are, are re rewarded in history, like, you know, um, uh, the great Winston Churchill, who chose to move grain out of India and and caused the, uh, a famine that killed you know millions of Indians to you know save the the British island from from supply shortages during the Nazi siege, right? So it's and I'm not not comparing Winston Churchill to Dukat or other horrible people, um, but it's it's that it's that slippery slope of charisma and patriotism and nationalism, and and it's very it's. I almost feel it's like human genetics. We 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 are susceptible to it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and I think Dukat plays that really well. Like especially if somebody starts with this episode and does not know the background of Cardassia and the occupation, it's like oh, there was there was a conflict, and some people claim they were occupied, other people claim that they were colonial, and 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 so who's right? I don't know. When it's like also taking a look at like whose whose lives are are worth more, you know, so like in your example, clearly the people in the United Kingdom, like in the British Isles, their lives were worth more than the Indian lives that were starved to death because the grain was taken out. You know, I mean, it's like this like, oh, but we ha we have to save these people or or in the case of um, Deep Space Nine, I mean, you have. Uh, it's it's more important for this is getting jumping ahead, but it's more important for Dukat to save face and to be seen as an upstanding citizen of Cardassia than for uh, Zial to have her life. You know, like I mean, it's so it's this like like which lives are valued and 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 how easy it becomes to devalue the lives of others when it may be inconvenient or detrimental to your own or anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is this is the classic model of an evil, um, self-centered politician slash autocratic leader, right? Like mm -hmm. this is, you know, the, you, Mark Alemo, by the way, plays him perfectly. And it's in full display. His entire toolkit for Dukat, I think, is in full display here. The charisma, mm -hmm. the emotions, the like sadness, the grit, the like, um, the hard edge. It's... I was just in awe of the acting um, on display here. Well, and also what we see happen to Kira when she's spending this time. I mean, she kind of not falls prey, but she's charmed by him, oh, you know, and yeah. and it's um, and then the anger that, you know, when she realizes what's happening and, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like, but he's so, I mean, he is so charming, but he's like a snake, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, which is which is that why was... he has risen to the top of his society, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. that is, which for this villain showdown, that's the difference between Dukat and the Borg Queen. Yes, the Borg Queen is just—I mean, 
maybe accepting like a couple of episodes of Picard now. It's just like a straight baddie. She's just evil. She's just been placed at the top. Like the Borg Queen didn't have to rise to the top of the Borg, okay? Mm. She just was placed there and she's just bad and she's going to have sex with Data. Like that's the <laughs> that's the extent of the Borg Queen. Uh, whereas Dakot, you can actually see Boiler. his like development. But like you can see like, okay, this is why this guy was able to become who he becomes. Yeah, he's gonna win the whole thing, man. I tell you, he mm. heard it here first. Uh, we'll uh, talk about that at the end because we. <laughs> I, I need you guys to pick who we're gonna select for round five and round six. Uh-oh. We need to do. We need to yeah. do some. Uh, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I actually got irritated yeah, go just to finish up, Emily. I got irritated on how Kira was sort of like trying to get to know him. Like she was first irritated that somebody was coming, that it was him, but she just wanted to go ahead with it, mm-hmm. and then she. And I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. You could you could speculate that he didn't, that the whole like feeling sad by the grave of his lover and she catches him. And that's where her her softness starts. Um, and and I was getting irritated, like you're a Bajoran um, you know, a resistance fighter, and you knew this guy through the resistance, and you're trying to get to know him, just get done with this. Uh, I was like, when I first saw this episode, um, and then I saw it again and forgot, so yeah, my short-term memory, I thought she was going to kick him in the nuts multiple times, right? Like, punch him in the face, all that, but mm-hmm. there's... And then and then that's why I like the directing of this episode, because I trusted her, like, I trusted her judgment, and I was like, wait, this guy could end up, like, you know, because she trusts him, this guy could end up in, like, some sort of, like, gray area, like, like Garrick, right? Um, so, so... Yeah, it was, it was, I was taken in. Mm. Yeah, it's really hard not to be. I mean, you, you really have to just kind of, I mean, even, even as someone who's watched a lot of Deep Space Nine, it's hard not to be like, you, you have to wonder like, did the writers write him at this point to be bad? Or like, was he, was he like supposed to be good at this point? Like you're just making up excuses for the man in your own head as you're watching this. Um, let's get back to the to the episode because we're just talking about Ga- Dukat, and that's why I said <laughs> this is such a great encapsulation of DS 9s episode because yeah. you can have such wide ranging conversations. So basically, just to give you the the quick recap, because I know some of our listeners, especially these retro recaps, they don't watch the entire episode. Kira finds out that the ship with an old resistance friend of hers, which disappeared six years ago during the occupation, the ship might have been found. Uh, the Cardassians find out that she's going to be going out to investigate. They send Dukat to go with her. Uh, Dukat and Kira meet this smuggler who shows them evidence of where the ship is. They quickly realize where it is. Which, by the way, to the credit of this episode, it doesn't belabor that point. It mm-hmm. is just like, it uses that smuggler guy to basically establish the relationship between Kira, Dukat, and the Resistance. And and it isn't like, hmm, let's run a Triassic scan on this piece of duranium steel. Like, it, there's none of that dicta. I was just like, oh, yeah, because it's this, I know where it is, and we're just going to go there. <laughs> and it's and, and they find the, the lost ship, um, which is, I think, where... Uh, and, and the Kira-Dukat relationship, I think, has been going on. Emily, you referenced some of the conversations they have within the shuttle, which uh-huh. really kind of... It, it, you know when the, when the 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 pot starts boiling, but I think it hits a rolling boil when they get to the planet, uh-huh. and the episode really just takes off from there. So they have the um they do, the first thing they discover on the planet is the graves, right? They have the there's twelve graves, and and Ducat um is very protective of those graves, so you know there's something going on. 
right away. Which oh. that's the first part you realize, like, okay, maybe he's not just here as a representative of his people. And he makes a comment in the shuttle. Um, you know, this I'm going to be very specific about the first half of the episode, and then I'm going to be less specific with the second half of the episode. You all could be more specific with that. But he makes a point like, oh, personal reasons are really helpful when you're on a mission like this, because Kira, when he finds out why Kira wants to go, it's because she knows someone who was on the ship. They were part of the resistance together. And it's kind of like, ding, ding, ding. Maybe there are personal reasons here for Dukat as well. But um, so right. he wants to check the graves, but doesn't want Kira to check the graves. Um, and he uses some, oh, well, Bajorans don't care about the physical remains, but Cardassians, it would be defile their memory or whatever if a non-Cardassian was to look at them, you know? So she's like, okay, fine. So she goes on the ship to find some stuff out and he goes through the graves and that's when you have this. I think, I can't remember who referenced, if it was Rudy, was it you, about when he, you discover that he finds something uh, that belonged to a Bajoran woman and that's when Kira finds him and she starts to be like, oh, maybe something else is happening here. She, she recognizes the commitment bracelet from Dukat right. that Dukat has, has taken up from the grave. So, I mean, again, but think about the setting of this episode, by the way. It's pretty grim. This dude is like digging up graves. Mm -hmm. If he has this like bracelet, presumably he's dug up his ex-lover's body and like taking this bracelet off. I mean, that's pretty grim stuff yeah. to be on primetime television in the 90s. Did uh, they show that though? They no, show, they made like, it bones? look like they made it look like all the remains had disintegrated. They just yeah. showed pieces of clothing and um and bracelet. Yeah, you don't see bones or or you know any you don't see physical remains. remains. You just see yeah. the articles of clothing that they would have been wearing. Yeah. And so it's but it's, it's, it's pretty rough. Again, there isn't a lot of like, I think this episode is a great example of beautiful writing because there isn't a lot of like, like it sticks very closely to what it's trying to give you as a plot, which is the mm -hmm. relationship between Kira, Dukat and Dukat's past. Mm -hmm. And we don't get a lot of like why the ship went down or no like investigation mm -hmm. scenes or anything. It's just like Kira's like, yeah, I plugged into the computer. I came back here. Here's everything we need to know. We need to go that way. Yeah. And, and and they just start on their way. Um, Want to take a moment to to talk about the layers of Dakar that we've already got through. Halfway through the episode, we've got mm -hmm. him as the like Cardassian representative, him as the like charismatic leader of the Cardassian people and the occupation. We've got him as like this friendly guy just coming to help out, and he's like. He's like in the sun, like, I'm really happy. This is brisk. We are on a hike. <laughs> and and then we get the the like heartbroken mm -hmm. lover. And yeah. I I don't know if y'all had this moment, but the moment when Kira says, and what about your wife? What did she think about this? Like, I I wasn't ready for that mentally. Like I was like, oh, so he had this like Bajoran lady that he loved. Like, that's that's adorable. Like, oh my God, maybe he isn't so bad after all. And then it's like, oh, he was cheating. All right, yeah. cool, cool DS9 writers, well played. Um, it's, it's just beautiful the way that they're able to layer those things on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, embarrassingly enough, I didn't think much of it, um, which hopefully doesn't speak of me, but I was like, <laughs> Ah, occupational leader. Yeah, of course. Because even of even course, Kira yeah. like normalizes it, right? Like you don't have to feel bad about like it was known for. I mean, she was saying it sarcastically, but also in a way like 
empathetically. Like, I couldn't quite make it out, right? Where she was like, you don't have to apologize for having a woman, blah, blah, blah. But I actually felt when, when she asked that question, I don't know if it came after she, you know, made this claim about you don't have to apologize or hide it. Um, um, I was like, oh, she really wants to know, like, yeah, he, he had somebody on the side and, and he was an occupational leader. So why does she care what he thought? Like, is she trying to figure out his humanity, right? Is that what's happening there? Um, is she, is she giving him a slight benefit of the doubt? Because otherwise, like the regular kid would be like, it's Ducart, Ducart, he's an ass. So, um, yeah. I think she has got a little bit like, I think she's got a little bit taken in at that point mm-hmm. by his by his kind of manipulation. Um, and so she, you know, it's kind of like she's stuck with him. So she has to relate and empathize. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's like a bit of disgust, like, oh, of course, you know, like, what what was her name? You know, like, like, of course, you had a Bajoran woman on the side. But also, uh, oh, but maybe you really did care for her. Or, or maybe, maybe you are capable of having feelings other than nefarious overlord of, or I can't remember what his position was. I know he was on deep space nine or head of the occupation is what she called him. Yeah. He was, he was, he was the head of the occupation and she was, he was the guy in charge of, he's the commandant of Mpeknor or not Mpeknor. Tereknor. Tereknor. Yeah. Um, Mm. it's, I think, It is, this should be really a case study in how to write a layered character portrayal just because mm-hmm. of how much both of these go through. But I will say this, Keter doesn't get as many layers or as many layers as her character has throughout DS9. Over here, she's kind of Dukat's foil. Um, mm. So we don't get the like freedom fighter side of her as much. You know, so this... This episode really is kind of a jumping off point for some much more complicated and nuanced um, relationship points between Dukat and Kira because of um, Kira's commitment to Zial by the end of the episode, right? And Mm -hmm. so, but there's a lot that happens in the remainder of the series because of Kira's relationship and protection kind of that she declares over Zial um, that that uh, like this episode ties Kira and Dukat together in a way that they never had been before so it's this is also an interesting episode because of that I think we get to see more layers of Kira of Kira's personality and and um, and how she sees Dukat and all of that later in the season than we do in this episode yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Um, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back and talk about the back half of this episode. You know, I'm not going to let you do it. I mean it, Dukat. You are not going to kill that girl. Major, why don't you worry about the other survivors? And let me worry about Zial. After all, she is my daughter. That's right. She's your daughter. And there is nothing more important to a Cardassian than family. At least that's what your people are always saying. I have a wife and seven children. They are my family. They are the ones I must protect. Well, you should have thought of that before you got involved with Naprem. You're right. I should have, but I made a mistake, a mistake I intend to correct. You don't have to take her back to Cardassia with you. Let me take her to Bajor. No one has to know that you're her father. 
Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we have discovered everybody hit the record button at the right time, uh, like exactly <laughs> the same time as everybody else. Very fascinating stuff. It's never happened before in 111 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, well, I thought that when coming back in here, we could take a quick break from Ducard and Keeler to talk about the Cisco Cassidy part of this episode briefly before we return to the other side. Um, it's a big step. So villainous. That was <laughs> big step. <laughs> Oh, big step, yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, this is like, it's kind of funny how wholesome or like normal this side of the episode is compared to the other. It's like, what the heck? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It was a big step, more like a foot, a big foot in, in uh, Cisco's mouth, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. He is just reduced to being kind of a blubbering fool when Cassidy is talking about commitment. For some reason, this guy can like handle Gal Dukat at his worst, but can't handle his partner talking about moving in. <laughs> and not even moving into his quarters, just quarters on the station. <laughs> he, he's like, yo, I'm the commander of this station and I don't, I don't have confidence in my abilities. And so don't come here because stuff is going to go sideways and, and I don't want you to, see, I don't want to see you get hurt. Or that's like a lame excuse that they kind of try to squeeze in there for his commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly how long it's been since Cassidy turned up on the show before this episode, but it's like, come on, dude, <laughs> she's like clearly into you. And he, he, when he's talking to Dax, he's like, I'm not sure how serious she is. And then she comes up and is like, I'm moving in. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, well, I think there's not a ton of depth to this plot. It's pretty, I mean, we've seen it in sitcoms and dramas since time in memoriam. But I will say it's kind of interesting how they involved Jake in there as well, having a quick conversation with his dad uh, about the whole thing. And then I also liked how Cassidy, like throughout the episode, like after she finds out, that Cisco is hot and cold about it. She's like, well, I'm not going to take this new job that lets me move to the station. Then I'm going to just go back to my old job. And then the, at the end, she's she's like, yeah, of course I took the job, you idiot. I'm not going to let like you and your issues come in the way of me and my career. Like, I, I really enjoyed that uh, yeah. as well. But don't you find it kind of funny that both Tadzia and Bashir were like totally supportive of, of Cisco's lack of commitment, but uh, it's a big step. I mean, this that's what probably does it, right? Gossip and societal <laughs> pressures like that, that make people nervous, right? <laughs> like my, my bridge crew, they're not, they're not okay with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder if it was because they're his bridge crew that they can't like, you know, disagree with him on something like that. So they have to be like, play nice. <laughs> <laughs> no but they could i mean in front of him sure but like even after he leaves they're like one of them is like it's a big step i was like dude gossip about the lack of commitment issues sorry the lack of commitment that your your uh your commander has um yeah uh well i guess it would be like your your partner like moving to your city from another city to like because of your relationship so uh, I guess it's a big step. It's a big step. <laughs> it is a big step. All right, let's take a big step back to the other side of this episode. Uh, we don't really need to belabor the point here. Um, so I think this episode kind of crosses a threshold when Descartes reveals 
so so first of all i was like why is this whole like silly butt injury thing happening where they're both <laughs> laughing and it's hilarious and again this episode i think tries to manipulate the audience a little bit and to be like look they're friends everything's great and then th- right after that is when kira's like who's zial that's a cardassian name and and uh dude is like i'm gonna sh- i'm gonna kill her when i meet my daughter i'm gonna kill her <laughs> And it's like, I feel like the episode really just passes like a boundary in terms of how you see Ducard at that point. At that point, you're like, oh, okay, he's just bad. <laughs> he's totally the villain. Yeah, yeah that, like, was kind of, that was kind of a slap in the face of his buildup of like potentially having two sides and a softer side and maybe redeemable. Um, and and at that point as well, I I I thought like Kira's going to smack him in the face or something. She's like, no, you're not killing him. Why are you kill- uh, killing her? Why are you killing her? She's trying to find out. Um, and then she's kind of soft on him even after that. Like she keeps telling him, no, I'm not going to let you do it. Uh, but it's almost like she understands where he's coming from. Like, I don't, I don't think she should understand where he's coming from. Well, you even try to. Part of that though, is because of how Ducat, you don't get the feeling that Ducat is like kill, wants to kill Zial gleefully. You know, I mean, it's not, it doesn't, he doesn't play it like, well, yeah, I'm just going to kill her. Like, like she doesn't matter or like it's. You know, she's unimportant. That's not how it's played. It's played like, I mean, it's, it's, a, you know, Sophie's choice kind of thing, right? Is the way he kind of plays it. Like he, he has to kill her because that's the only way for him to be able to continue with the esteem that he has and, and all of this, you know, he can't, he can't show that he has a soft side for this half Bajoran, half Cardassian girl and, um, so it's, it's, so he's trying to still be sympathetic, I think, in the way he plays it. He, he yeah, is. Yeah. And I think, I think again, this is like kind of brilliant from the writers. They just don't just make him like evil. He's not like trying to cover up an affair. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they use the circumstances of the, the plot that they've, that they've got available to them to make him, make him like potentially, like you're saying, Emily, the good guy in the whole situation. Well, she's not, of course, but like... <laughs> he has justifiable like reasons for thinking he's doing the right thing in his own like kind of twisted brain right Mm -hmm. so it's again we see the ds9 writers giving us a heap of complexity Mm -hmm. um which i really enjoy though isn't he really just actually trying to cover up an affair right like they they layer it but then you you peel the layers off very quickly and it's like first of like first he tries to explain how like he was trying to put them in a place where um, you know, they would neither be on Bejor or Cardassia or get oppressed, you know, because of the uh, interracial features and all of that. Um, so you're like, okay, that makes sense. But then why can't you, she asked him, why can't you just do that now, right? And he's like, um, well, because I have more enemies now and they will totally find her and then I will I will be, you know, I, that, that will be my Achilles heel. So in the end, he's self-centered again and and the reason he has to kill her is so that he cannot be taken down politically by his enemies right yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly and I, I mean it is but he doesn't feel good about it that's right. the, that's what I, that's what the layer is it's not yeah. i mean yes it's totally self-serving but he's still breaking his heart doing it right you know right exactly anyway. and i think it's i think in a lesser actor's hands this would all be a lot worse Whoa. in terms of <laughs> yeah in terms of his like ability to like portray this level of like or manipulate our feelings as viewers so much. Mm-hmm. So I'll just come back to that for a moment. So okay, so so we 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 hear about Zial, we hear that 
he's gonna kill him. I think that revelation also introduces a lot of active tension to the episode, which really serves well in the last quarter or so of it. Once they find the mine, you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? Like you start like actively sitting at the edge of your seat rather than having this kind of like like the first part of the the, the first three quarters of the episode are kind of like waiting for Godot. It's two two people talking to one another, and then it turns into this kind of like pseudo action thriller ish kind of tense thing pretty seamlessly actually it's not like it's not you know kind of it's not a harsh shift but that's kind of where you go as a viewer i think mm-hmm. and then of course there's the brain like who expected the brain to show up in this episode <laughs> they just needed to fill that with some kind of uh common enemy uh, i i we we got I'm I'm guessing we do that more in Deep Space Nine, but we got a nice close look at their their suits and and kind of Star Wars bounty hunter types mm-hmm. and um it was it was interesting seeing Kira in in the in the suit with without the helmet entirely towards the end, kind of gave me vague um connection to uh, like an Atreides trooper from Dune the new Dune like. Like Jason Momoa from <laughs> as Duncan Idaho, like the, the like the beige layering. I don't know. I haven't really checked it out on online to see the similarities, but uh, kind of took me back there. Doesn't she? I feel like Kira keeps ending up in Breen uniforms. I feel like that oh. happens in the seventh season too. I can't remember. Hide the face. <clears throat> is it, yeah. isn't the, the Breen uniform kind of looks like that outfit that Leia wears in mm-hmm. uh, Return of I the thought, Jedi? That's what I thought right. you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say she felt like it felt like Leia in Return of the Jedi, but actually, yeah, that, yeah. <clears throat> the outfits do look. The helmets do look kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen like what the Breen looked like under their outfit? Uh, I need to memory off of this as we're talking. I don't think they ever show you because that's kind of one of the, um, that's kind of the conceit. Like they talk about what do they look like under the helmet? Or I mean, like they, even the characters talk about it. Some, I, I, yeah, I don't think the audience ever gets to see. Presumably Kira has, if she's stolen a uniform. I would think so. Don't just like dissolve into thin air. (laughs) But aren't they like refrigerator suits or something? Because the Breen come from like a frozen planet or something to that effect. I believe that. I believe that. Um, oh my! The, the, yeah. the Leia bounty hunter thing looks exactly like the Breen, except for the fluorescent green. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I bet there's some nice there. memory alpha apocrypha about it. Um. Well, so then, again, when when they free the prisoners, you don't have a lot of like back and forth about like presumably this guy that Kira wants to find like the, you know it's a major plot element and it's like dismissed in like a couple of like oh he died in a cave in like years ago it's done so that we get back to the real like mm-hmm. thing that the audience cares about and I just again I gotta call out the pacing and just be like this is a very well written episode in terms of pacing because mm-hmm. then we quickly move to Dukat finding Zial. Well, and, and, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna ask if y'all expected her, him to kill her, but y'all can, uh, y'all can go ahead and, and answer that after your point, Emily. Well, no, I was gonna say, like, isn't this like she knows who he is? Like, so when you're right, right? Am I remembering this mm-hmm. correctly? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you, before up until I remembered being that kind of being, being kind of surprised about that, um, and it also adds a whole other layer to his decision to kill her. Um, 
Because mm. how many times have, you know, has a child been born and they have no idea who their father is because right. of whatever the circumstances were. And now you realize, no, actually, like, they were kind of like a family unit. Like, there was... Yeah. I mean, Zial loved her father and had, you know, I mean, had positive associations with him and, um, and expected fully that she, he was coming to rescue her, to take her away. And so that adds another layer to, um, what he was wanting to do. But he, she also isn't written like a freaking dupe either. She says, you know, the other Cardassians told me that you would kill me if you found me. Yeah. And so, and I didn't want to believe them. And then she like walks to his rifle and says, kill me. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can't live with you, I'd, I'd like you to kill me. And it's, it's really and stark, heavy stuff. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And you it, think, it, it God, is. how can she love him? <laughs> like, he's an aw- So, so that also gives you another, even though we're not, now we haven't seen Dukat the father, right? right. We haven't seen him ever portrayed that way in any of the previous episodes. But just in that moment, when she says, I would rather you kill me than me not be able to live with you. That says volumes about how she feels about him and the experiences that she had of him as her father too, you know? So. Yeah. And and I'm trying to do the math here. Like, I don't know if she was 13 on the passenger list or the manifest. Um, which was many years ago, and now she's there for like 20 almost, or I don't know how many years it's been since. Um, so she probably remembered him and knew about him to some extent or what, what he stood for if she was 13 when the crash happened. Um, and, and yet she dreamt about, you know, um, uh, him coming to rescue her, but then also had these reality checks uh, checks with the Cardassian prisoners so mm-hmm. at that point in time you, you real I I guess you know after having watched so much television having so much television around you it will become such good predictors on where stuff is going to go right just as viewers and that that makes it harder for new um uh new media to like figure out uh, ways to keep us guessing this is something that's like decades yep. old and and you still don't know what's going to happen right is he going to mm-hmm. kill her is she going to is she going to die i didn't expect it to go the way it did when i saw it for the first time and then forgot and saw it again um <laughs> I, I thought he'd kill her I yeah i wasn't sure i i knew she survived but i wasn't sure of course going to happen See, and I'm trying to remember what I thought the first time I saw it. It's so hard. It's so hard for me to remember that. You know, I mean, I would have seen this episode for the first time like 20 years ago. So I just don't know um, if I thought he was going to kill her or not. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks maybe I would have been like, there's no way Kira would let him kill her. Like, there's just no way. Um, But I don't know. I, I don't know if I had a some sort of, you know, way I thought that she would stop him or is this the first? I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it can't be the first time where we're four episodes into the fourth season, but Cardassian women are either shown, in my memory at least, as as harsh, like dominating kinds, or really old, caretaking kinds. Her being so obviously she's half Cardassian, but so sweet and benevolent, and like even the first time they kind of look through the the binoculars, like she's like feeding all the other prisoners, so kind of takes us or took me by surprise a little bit which makes the situation much more complicated um 
no, she's a really nice person and not, 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 not like, you know, Cardassians are stereotyped to be. And, and yeah. we've, we've met some others in, in like previous episodes of DS9. There's just been a lot of, but you're right. I think the ones that we remember are like Seska, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, it's I, I think it is it is a compl- it's, it's a well written character Zial. If I mean I her other episodes are really kind of interesting and you know she gets the full tragic character arc through her life if you mm-hmm. if you know what happens to her. But um, I love Zial. You're not I gonna like spoil it then, Nudge. Ah, uh, she dies. <laughs> <laughs> we she just dies gotta be true to our spoiler. Who kills her? <laughs> yeah. Well, and and at the end of this episode. Ducat's like, not only am I going to spare her, I'm going to take her back to Cardassia with me. And like, it, it is, I, I think that was maybe the only part of this episode where yeah. I was like, uh, interesting. I don't know that that would be something that I could like believe happens. Like this man has had this much of a, a change of heart. But I mean, again, I don't know the next part. So maybe it comes out that he did it to like manipulate somebody else or whatever. So like, yeah, I was like, he's going to kill her in the shuttle, man. Like when they leave, you don't trust him. <laughs> kill her. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so who knows? Um, one thing I'll call out real quick is that there is a whole other part of this episode that is, that could be really compelling that we don't hear anything about, which is the Cardassians and the Bajorans who have no idea that the occupation has ended, first of all. So, like, how do they feel coming back into the, like, the the new world? Or B, that they've been enslaved together, jailers and prisoners enslaved together. Mm-hmm. And how did that, how did that go? And we don't get anything about it because this, this episode is so full of content that we can't even, like, uh, jump into that. Spin-off, backdoor pilot. <laughs> right. Oh, man, it's, uh, it's wild. So, um, any other pieces of this episode before we jump into rating and anything else that y'all would like to talk about with it? We didn't spend enough time on the, on the butt spine, butt nail thing. <laughs> please, I want to make like a joke earlier on when you're like, nobody ran a Triassic scan on blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know what? They should have run it on, on, on Ducat's ass, right? <laughs> Triassic can, scan, you get it? Um... And then they were laughing weirdly, right? Like laughing at each other uncontrollably. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of um, this uh, Peter Sellers movie where everybody's like in here <laughs> laughing gas and they're just laughing at each other. And they can't stop, but they hate each other. So yeah. Was... You and I have both watched that together. He pulled oh, the man. wrong tooth. He pulled the wrong tooth. <laughs> it's Cluso. Kill him. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best movies I have ever seen um, for yeah. our listeners. Um, the Pink Panther Strikes Again. You don't need to watch the ones before. Um, yeah, it's actually it's like actually this... outside. Yeah. It, that movie sits outside the rest of the other Pink Panther movies in its, in its canon. It, it is amazing. And I personally feel it's better than the Steve Martin one. Oh, 100%. It was, it was way better than, uh, than the Steve Martin ones. I think the Steve Martin ones are kind of they kind of fall flat for me in terms of... But anyway, we're now rating Pink Panther movies <laughs> instead of rating this episode. So. Well, I, Pink I Panther. was going to say one more thing, something that's sure. so interesting. You know, we go from this episode um, where Dukat is planning to kill Zial to Dukat losing his mind because Zial gets killed a few years mm. later. 
you know, so it's, it's just an interesting, um, it just says, there's just a, the whole character of Zial, which, you know, so is this fridging, but, um, so much is revealed about Dukat because of the character of Zial. Mm-hmm. I would say, and again, go out, go out on a limb here. I would say Dukat can be a mirror to us on how we, um, can end up being really bad people, um, because of things that we feel and care about a lot. I feel this episode and then the other one when where Zial dies, like those are major branching points for Ducat as a personality and and there is a selfish, deep, dark spiraling inside in all of us. Um and and yeah, that's it's that's the that's the believable part about Ducat. He's like one of those, you know, true villains like super villains that comes from uh normalcy well not normalcy he's 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 an overlord but like he's believable he's not like you said notch like you know borg established mechanical mm -hmm. evil uh, that's, well that's and this is i i think this is a demonstration of why ds9's fans are fanatical about it right like think about this level of writing in a serialized format compared to what we saw in Voyager, for example. Like, I mean, I, it's hard to, like... I think Voyager does different things that are great, uh, that, that, are, that are pretty fantastic about it, but uh, with its characters. But we don't get something like this where there are layers that stay throughout the entire series. So, mm. um, well done. Well done to... To the writers of this episode and of ds9 well let's let's jump into ratings um which of you want to stick your neck out and get give indiscretion a rating i'll go i'll give it uh i don't think i've given like a non-action kind of storyline kind of uh, episode such a high rating before i'll give it nine butt spines out of ten <laughs> sounds right. very painful well, i can but... see how we just <laughs> Sorry, we have a little guest star there. <laughs> Universal translator. I'm trying to think what I'm going to score this one. I, you know, I think I'm going to give it five out of five because uh -huh. this, this, I think it's a great episode, but it's also uh -huh. an episode that, um, that just a whole bunch branches off of it. And so it's it's really a key episode, which you don't necessarily think it's a key episode um, because it's not like a Dominion episode. It's not, you know, but it, it right. does have implications for uh, or implications for years down the line. So Dietrich agrees with me. <laughs> I decided I debated whether to give this a nine and a half or a ten because I... I mean, again, it's the In the Pale Moonlight test, right? Like, is this better than In the Pale Moonlight? And for me, I have to say, like, I got to give it a 10 out of 10 just because it's it's even the, the Cassidy and Cisco plot aren't, like, offensive or, like, bad. And I just, I uh, I don't know. I, this, this could easily have been two hours of television and written well. And it could seem like one hour wasn't enough in that regard. And they still managed to stick the landing and just make it, like, a compact... Piece. So I'm 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 really 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 impressed basically. And before we go again next week, make sure to watch Deja Q before you listen to the podcast. That again is the thirteenth episode of the third season of the Next Generation. 
will be voting for Q in the fifth round of the Villains Showdown. Well, with that, uh, I want to say thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy, for joining me to talk about Indiscretion. When we didn't have any new Trek coming up, I was like, what are we going to do with this? I, I don't know how this is going to feel. We don't know what we're going to talk about. And then we looked at the Star Trek Villain Showdown and said, let's go there. So so thanks for making time about that for that. Yeah. Thanks, Notch. Thanks, it was Notch. a good time. Yeah. And thank you, Bill. And... Uh, uh thank you adam i hope you guys are enjoying your respective parts of north america wherever you are thank you dear listener for making time for us in your podcast rotation this week thank you just guha for recording our theme music we always appreciate hearing you strum away at the guitar and special thanks this week to the person who included uh, Mark Alimo being creepy in that DS9 documentary because I can't look at him the same way after that ever again. <laughs> Me either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so cheers for that. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.